Let me begin by saying what an honor it is to be with you on your 94th anniversary. It is a privilege and I bring you greetings from both Knox College and the Toronto School of Theology. As I was thinking about what I needed to say to you today on your 94th anniversary, I realized that there's one thing that is really important, and that's what this sermon is about. I also realized that I spoke some of these words at Rebecca Jess's ordination, so if you heard it already, forgive me, but I really think it's the most important thing that I have to say to the church right now. We'll test how good your memories are. As parents and grandparents and as a church, we want many things for our children. I have three children, a 16-year-old, a 5-year-old, and a 3-year-old, and I tell at least my little girls every day that they are beautiful and strong and smart and brave. The 16-year-old is also beautiful and strong and smart and brave, but he doesn't like to hear it as much as the little girls do. So we have hopes for our children. We have hopes that they will reach their potential, that they will have enough of what they need, whether it's food or comfort or love. We might hope for their success, however that might be measured. We want creativity for our kids. We want adventure, health, courage, faith, and strength. Few of us look at our children and say, I wish for you to be vulnerable. Social science researcher Brene Brown defines vulnerability as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. It comes from the Latin, and it literally means being open to being wounded. As I said, it's not something that we tend to wish for our children. Vulnerability has a negative connotation in our culture. It's something that many of us have been taught to avoid rather than embrace. Why? Because it's associated with weakness. To be vulnerable is to be weak. It might be about wearing your heart on your sleeve or showing too much emotion. I know that's true about my training as a clergy person, that I'm taught to be strong and courageous and never to show tears and look like I know what I'm doing. But is vulnerability really about weakness? In her research, Brene Brown has discovered the opposite. She says vulnerability isn't about weakness. It's actually the birthplace of love and belonging and joy and courage and creativity. She says it's the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. And she goes on to say if we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper or more meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. By opening ourselves up to risk and uncertainty, we also open ourselves up to possibilities beyond 
what we know in the present. Those most valuable things, such as love, are only available to us when we're willing to take great risks and open ourselves up to the possibility of being hurt. You can't love if you're not willing to take the risk of being hurt. And when we take risks, we might fail. When we are vulnerable, we might encounter shame or grief. But if we don't risk uncertainty and emotional exposure, we might not find clarity in our lives or meaning at all. We cannot give grace and we cannot receive grace if we are not vulnerable, and thus we will miss out on some of life's greatest gifts. It actually takes great courage to be vulnerable. We don't usually think about God as being vulnerable. If I were to ask you what adjectives you would use to describe God, you'd probably say things like strong and powerful, loving, generous, but probably not vulnerable. In his affectionate letter to the church at Philippi, Paul invites his friends to imitate the nature of God in Jesus Christ to have the same nature, the same mind as Christ. Paul says this about Jesus, and I think this is the part that we're called to imitate, that Jesus emptied himself. That's a mark of vulnerability. It is an essential aspect of God's nature that God is so deeply concerned for creation and so loving that God emptied God's self of divine power and became human and suffered and died. All of this because of the love and passion that God has for humanity and for all of creation. This deep desire for the flourishing of others is inherent in God's nature in Trinity. And it overflows the bounds of the divine and encounters us, you and me. God is love, and God's love is about emptying God's self. It's about vulnerability. It's about making space within God's self for others to the point of dying for the other which is exactly what Jesus did. By all rights, he is the Almighty One, and yet his choice and the choice of the triune God is to become humble and open and loving. God risks pain and brokenness and humiliation in order to heal us, in order to reconcile us, in order to pierce our own invulnerability and make us more open to God and to one another. How beautiful that our strong and mighty God chose to show strength in weakness, to show power in vulnerability, to fill us up by emptying God's self. The Greek word for this is kenosis. Kenosis means self-emptying. God emptied God's self. 
Paul's plea for the church to imitate Jesus Christ seems to suggest that the church should share this desire for self-emptying, should imitate Christ's unbounded desire for the flourishing of others, should love to the point of death, just like God has loved us. Every decision becomes about what is best for others. Paul was writing to a very young church. That church didn't yet possess power. In the first century, Christians were a tiny and persecuted minority. Surely they were already humble enough without having Paul tell them to be more humble. And yet Paul is urging them to maintain this humility, presumably both in their relationships within the Christian community and beyond. The church didn't stay small, though. They didn't really listen to Paul. In the mid-fourth century, it caught the attention of the emperor Constantine, who stopped the persecutions against Christians and eventually decided that Christianity was a promising religion to uphold the values of the Roman emperor, empire. So in a flash, the church went being, from being on the margins of culture to the center of culture, from weak to powerful from vulnerable to in control. And the church has stayed powerful for centuries. And this is something we have called Christendom, the domination of Christianity, the domination of the church. The church has thrived in this system and has achieved great wealth. We've subsumed entire cultures. We've built architectural masterpieces that testified to the power of God and the power of the institutional church. It's very difficult to equate the church of Christendom with vulnerability. It was a loud, strong voice in the world. <coughs> the church has been intimately connected to public marketplaces, to governments and militaries, and has had a prominent role in defining cultural values. And as hard as it is for us to confess, the church did not always behave well. It liked its power, and it liked the idea of conquering as much as it liked persuading. In its mission, it sometimes had an allergy to difference and tried to make everybody embrace Western values alongside Christian scriptures. In our own context, the church has perhaps failed most fully in its goal of loving North America's Aboriginal peoples from the first time that Christians set foot on this soil. Mahatma Gandhi once said, I like your Christ, I don't always like your Christians. Ooh. Yet it's no wonder that Christians have gained such a reputation in certain times and places because the church has never been immune to the corrupting influences of power. But today, 
we're beginning to imagine what a vulnerable church might look like. And you can see this, I'm sure, in the arc of your own history and the kind of influence that this congregation has had within the community around it. Things are changing. Christendom has crumbled, and the church is less powerful than it has been since the fourth century. There's lots of, many, of reasons for this. Plurality and diversity, the ways that the church has been perceived to be intolerant or destructive, the reality that faith can't answer some of life's most difficult questions. No matter what promises were made by modernity about the possibility of answering all questions, we are still in the dark about some things. The days when our pews were overflowing are long gone. And in many ways, the church is homeless in the world. And some people feel a lot of despair because the church is not what it once was. I am not one of those people. I believe that the church belongs not in the center of culture, but at the margins, with the poor and the most vulnerable. I believe that the church is more faithful and effective when it is small and smart. I believe that in this current time of vulnerability and anxiety, the church can become what it was intended to be all along. The church will never again possess power, at least power as defined conventionally. It will not achieve greatness through overflowing pews. It will not regain its voice at the center of culture. And that is a good thing because the church always belonged at the margins. Its call right from the time of Paul was to imitate Christ in humility, to empty itself of power in order to become more itself. To become a humble and loving creation that could mingle with the most vulnerable and find its strength at the moment of its greatest weakness. And here we are, here you are, a disenfranchised Christian church at the end of Christendom without any clue what the future will look like. Vulnerability comes with that territory. But can we turn it into a strength? Can we adopt Christ's mind? Can we imitate God's nature? In relation to the world, can we choose to take a canonic stance, a self-emptying stance, embracing humility and vulnerability? Thomas Merton wrote, unless there is contemplation in the life of the church, the church will always become seduced by its own power, especially when it's successful. It's going to take a lot of contemplation for the church to comprehend its situation in this new world. To give our life away when we are threatened and afraid and vulnerable is going to take some deep thought. After all, there's nothing more vulnerable than giving your life away. 
It's exactly what Jesus told his disciples. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. Which is exactly what Jesus did at the hands of his Roman executioners. He gave up his life. He lay it down for his friends, for a world that made strange. It was the greatest act of love and self-emptying that the world has ever known. Well, what's it going to mean for the church to lay down its life when it is already vulnerable and afraid? Well, one thing, when we're vulnerable and afraid, it means that we're thrown back completely on God's resources. We have nothing left to do but turn to God. And we know just how risky it is to be dependent on the movement of God's Holy Spirit. Because when God's Spirit starts working, things, people, institutions, tend to end up topsy-turvy and upside down. If we return to Brene Brown's notion and definition of vulnerability as the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, and creativity, hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. I hear in this an echo of what we want most for the church. Not only the church as a whole, but congregations like this one. We want love and belonging and joy and courage and creativity. We want hope and empathy, accountability and authenticity. Being vulnerable might actually be our best weapon against despair. Are we brave enough to be vulnerable? To shed any pretense that we have all the answers? To stop assuming that we have the authority to decide who is right and who is wrong and who is valuable and who is not valuable in God's eyes? Can we become accountable? Can we confess the misuses and abuses of power in the church's history? Can we weep and mourn for those who have suffered? Even if those things happened a long time ago, even if those abuses were committed by someone else, somewhere else. This is an an invitation to become authentic, to be whole. Because our authenticity and vulnerability will lead us to find our greatest strengths. It is time to have the courage to be vulnerable. Because when we lose our lives, we will find them. May God bless us in our strength and in our vulnerability. Amen.